and welcome to Too Many Movies, the podcast where we discuss DVDs, Blu-rays, and even the occasional VHS tape. I'm your host, Hal, and today's a surprise threefer. So, originally I was not intending on talking about three different movies in my collection on today's episode, but uh, Sunday, uh, as I'm recording this, last Sunday, was the 20th anniversary of Treasure Planet, the Disney movie that everybody claims to have forgotten but everybody knows about um let's talk about treasure planet because i watched it on uh sunday and it uh is on blu-ray so i have it on this 10th anniversary edition blu-ray so i'm guessing that meant it was released 10 years ago uh in 2012 and so here's my history with treasure planet i did not grow up watching it as often as other Disney movies. I saw it more so later on in my childhood, not really something that I grew up with, but I did grow up with seeing the trailer for it a lot when I, whenever I would watch uh, one of the other VHS tapes I owned. I'm going to assume it was on the Monsters, Inc. VHS that I used to have because, I mean, th- this movie came out in 2002 and that was 2001 so that's my best guess i really couldn't tell you i got rid of that vhs tape years ago so there's no way of knowing i mean i guess i could go online there is that community um on youtube for those of you who don't know where they just upload uh trailers and commercials at the beginnings of certain vhs tapes i found this is really funny i found the exact opening to a uh, Thomas and the Magic Railroad VHS tape that I still own, but I found the exact opening to it on YouTube, like in full, from the uh, Columbia TriStar logo to the uh, Trumpet of the Swan commercial to like the Bear in the Big Blue House commercials that they had to like the Thomas and Friends books that they advertised at the be- beginning of the movie. Like they had it, they had everything. They had the entire thing uploaded to YouTube. It's freaking uncanny, like the fact that. People will just upload these to YouTube. I'm getting off topic. I apologize. Okay, so Treasure Planet. Um, so it's it's one I didn't necessarily grow up with. Um, but I am familiar enough with it because I did watch it occasionally as a kid. Um, occasionally enough that it did stick with me. So it's one that... It depends on who you are. Like, people either seem to really passionately love it, or they think it's okay. They're just like, yeah, it's fine. It's not really anything that great, but it's fine. It's weird. Um, at least nowadays. I guess back in the day, people were not as receptive towards it, because it is considered to be one of Disney's biggest bombs. Um, not as big as Black Cauldron, uh, obviously, but... It was enough that it was worth pointing out, like, hey, this was a huge disaster, financially speaking. And I think it's a shame that, you know, that happened 20 years ago and 20 years to the month, we're still seeing this happen where Disney will just not market something because they think it's too weird. And so this very weird movie does not get the reception that it probably needs. I mean, we're seeing this with Strange World right now how that Disney's not doing any marketing for it or barely any marketing and it's failing at the box office. I mean, as of recording this, I have not seen strange world. Um, but from what I can see, it, I mean, it doesn't really look like 
to be in the same league as Treasure Planet. But again, I haven't seen it, so I can't judge it. Anyway, as for Treasure Planet, I feel like I'm going on a lot of tangents here. Let me just say, I love this movie. I love Treasure Planet. It's a great movie. It's a lot of fun. It's the story of it, it's the story of Treasure Island. Let's let's start there. It's the story of Treasure Island, but in space. Um, but also with old-timey pirate aesthetics. So people are in dresses, they're in pirate gears, uh, but they, 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 they ride on pirate ships, but in space. So, and it's very weird. And I feel like if you're not willing to be okay with this strange sort of amalgamation of sci-fi technology and old-timey pirate aesthetics you're not really going to get into the movie because admittedly it is asking a lot out of people how it's just like oh in the future or this alternate timeline spaceships look like pirate ships it's like okay that's really stupid but even though it is admittedly kind of stupid it's creative it's different like you know how lame this movie would have been if it was just like a Star Trek ripoff where it was like pirates in space, but they were in like sh like regular spaceships that you'd seen a million times. It's like it would get boring, you know? It would just be the same old stuff, just something we've seen before. It'll be like an alien knockoff or a Star Wars knockoff. It's like th that's the one thing you can't say about Treasure Planet. It's not a sci-fi knockoff. Like it is its own thing. It is using uh, aesthetics used in the original Treasure Island, I would assume. I'm not as familiar with the book. B but that's the point. Like, it's in a different setting. So, like, it's it's original enough that it's unique. And, you again, like, you can't say it's a knockoff of anything because it is its own thing. Now, that's sometimes not enough for people, and I get that. And there are other things that people don't like about this movie. Let me say this let's talk about ben ben is the biggest detractor for a lot of people they really can't stand this character he's played by martin short he's supposed to be the ben character from the original treasure island who's like the stranded original member of the original pirate crew and he's there to help them um so yeah in this movie he's a robot he's played by martin short he's kind of a nutcase and a lot of people don't like him because he's kind of like the Jar Jar Binks where, yeah, he's played for comedic relief, but he's not funny because of how forced he is comedically. Like, now say what you will about Martin Short. I think personally he can be very funny. I thought he was quite funny in Jimmy Neutron and in Prince of Egypt. And I do remember not being annoyed by him in Madagascar 3. He's not a terrible comedian per se, but he can be a bit much at times. But I'm just going to say it. I actually don't mind him here. I think Ben is actually very, very funny. Now, let me preface that by saying, do I think he's the best part of the movie? Absolutely not. Is he my favorite comedy relief character? Absolutely the fuck not. But I just don't really find him to be all that annoying. Like... I get it. I get why he is the way that he is. Like, the point of this character is to be this 
weirdo psycho dude that they just find who's been stranded for over a hundred years. It's like, yeah, he's gonna be kind of nutso. Now, to be fair, um, James Schaeferless Productions, uh, my shiny overlord, did say this in his review of the movie on his letterbox that the only way he could imagine a character as annoying as Ben working is if he was voiced by the guy who voices Master Shake and Gaspacho from T- Chowder. Uh, yeah, fuck, I forget his name too. In any case, yeah, I guess it is down to the performance, whether or not Martin Short is actually delivering these lines in a funny way. And loud does not always equal funny, admittedly. So I get it. It's not like this is a case where I cannot understand why people are annoyed by him. I absolutely 100% know why people don't like Ben as a character in this movie. I just am not one of those people. I'm not that annoyed by him. Um, But as for the rest of the movie, it's honestly really freaking good for what it is. Jim Hawkins could easily be a terrible main character. Like, he's like the the rebellious teenager. It's like, oh, haven't seen that in, like, everything else in the history of ever. But, like, it actually works here because he's not as annoying. He's not, like... And he's not even really a rebellious, terrible kid. He's just been handed a shitty hand in life. Like, and it's not even like it's... uh given to a it's not like beaten over that beating us over the head with it like it's delivered pretty smartly like and he's not like an unlikable character either like when long john or captain amelia or whoever is like telling him to do something like he does it he's not like a jackass about it and i like that i like that it shows that deep down he is a good guy like you know whenever it comes to rebellious asshole teenager types they're the filmmakers would muck it up and they would just have him be like this total asshole to everybody. And then they're, and then the movie insists that like, Oh, deep down, they're a good person. It's like, no, I buy that Jim is deep down a great person. He's just, like I said, been dealt a shitty hand in life. And I like that his relationship with long John feels natural. Like the two of them have their spats where they don't get along, but they also do feel like they respect each other. And I like that. So I'm not as familiar with Treasure Island, the book, as I've said numerous times. I, The extent of my knowledge of Treasure Island is this movie, Muppet Treasure Island, and Russian Treasure Island with the fucking Chad that is Dr. Livesey. And out of all three of those movies, this has the best iteration of Long John Silver I have seen. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm a fan of the, uh, the really wacky animated version in... Uh, Russian Treasure Island, but he does not hold a candle compared to Dr. Livesey. Uh, and I am a fan of Tim Curry, obviously. Who's not a fan of Tim Curry? I mean, come on, honestly. But I don't watch Muppet Treasure Island for the drama between Jim Hawkins and Long John Silver. I'm watching it because of the jokes and Gonzo saying he wants to join the NBA and Rizzo saying, but this is a kid's movie. And that one scene where those rats are having a tour around the island from Muppet Treasure Island. It's like a little bit of fourth wall breaking. I should stop right there. I need to make a whole episode on Muppet Treasure Island. Don't you worry. I think I own it on DVD. In any case, this is definitely has this movie definitely has my favorite characterizations of these specific characters. 
Um, because I, this is the one I take the most seriously. Like I, as I said, Muppet Treasure Island and Russian Treasure Island, I get more ironic enjoyment out of mostly, or just legitimate laughs. Here, this is the one I feel like I can take the most seriously, and I appreciate that. I appreciate that this movie, with all its weird world building and admittedly kind of annoying comedic side characters, the heart is still there. Like, I remember I was... so I. On my rewatch of this movie, watching that scene of Jim break down after Dr. Arrow dies because he knows it's his, he feels it's his fault and he just breaks down and is like silently sobbing on Long John's belly like he just rests his head on his belly and he's like silently sobbing. It's like, good Lord, this rocks like this is so good. And then he just and then Long John feels so terrible for roping Jim into this because he sees so much potential. He genuinely respects Jim. Like he wants to pretend that he sees him as a pawn as part of his uh, mutiny, but no, like he genuinely respects Jim. He loves him like a son. And it's great how he actively like tries to make him feel better. It's like, great, great. More scenes like this. And they do. I feel like this movie actually does pull these scenes off really well and honestly as annoying as ben can get and as i said i didn't really mind him but like even as annoying as he gets like the good stuff is still so good in this movie i love treasure planet and all that it comes with um is it my favorite absolute favorite in the disney canon probably not i wouldn't even really call this my favorite clements and musker movie like yeah, I respect the hell out of them for doing this. I will absolutely call this their most ambitious work because it really is. Like, even if it's not my favorite from them, it is definitely their most ambitious movie to date. Like, no, uh, none of their other movies come close to being as gutsy and risky as this one. Like, Princess, Princess and the Frog, Moana, Hercules, Little Mermaid, Great Mouse Detective. Like, all of those are... And Aladdin. Like... All of those are pretty, I don't want to say standard because I do respect all of them a lot. They're not like as risky. Like they they are Disney movies for sure. And like they probably, some of them probably would have been hits anyway. Um, but they're still good. Like I love Little Mermaid and Aladdin a lot for sure. Like more so than uh, Treasure Planet. But Treasure Planet is just on a whole other level ambitious wise. Like it is their most ambitious film. I will absolutely say that. So I guess to round off this discussion of Treasure Planet, am I keeping it? Absolutely. Like this Blu-ray, it looked really good on Blu-ray and I don't know, maybe I could get a much nicer Blu-ray, but you know what? It's fine. I like the box art. It's not terrible. It's honestly just a fun movie, and I can understand why people wouldn't like it, but to me, I just get so much out of it. It is maybe not my top 10 favorite Disney, maybe top 20, it depends, but it is definitely a favorite and one I would absolutely own and watch over and over again, so yep, it's staying in the collection. Anyway, so to move on to the next uh, movie that I wanted to talk about. So, if you remember uh, 
a while back, I did an episode on the movie 12 Monkeys. And the reason I did that was not only was it on Blu-ray, but it was being talked about on Sardonicast. And I wanted an excuse to watch it uh, and watching it to prepare to listen to the Sardonicast episode and then eventually making my own episode on it was a lot of fun. And obviously I kept that movie. Uh, I did not keep Stealth, which was the other movie in that episode, but we don't talk about Stealth. But we are going to be talking about The Big Lebowski, which is another movie that I own on Blu-ray that they're talking about on Sardonicast in a recent episode. And so I thought I would take this opportunity to talk about this uh, movie in this section, The Big Lebowski. I watched it and um, I did listen to the Sardonicast episode discussion on it and I agree with literally everything they talked about. It's a very good movie. I fucking love The Big Lebowski, man. I was kind of doubting myself. So I feel like with a lot of my favorite movies that I put on my favorites list... I talked about this with James on the Baby Driver episode, how, like, I always kind of go back and forth, like, do I really love Baby Driver as much as I do? And then I watch Baby Driver, I'm like, oh, yeah, I do. It's a fucking masterpiece. But the same thing was going through my head before I watched The Big Lebowski. I'm like, do I actually love this movie? I was not even, like, ten minutes into the movie. I'm just like, yeah, I fucking dig the hell out of this movie. It's so fucking good. So... What is it that makes me love The Big Lebowski as much as I do? Well, I'm, it's quotable. It's honest to God one of the most quotable movies I have ever seen in my entire life. That rug really tied the room together, did it not? Mr. Lebowski is disabled. Yes, the bums will always lose. Over the line. Am I the only one who gives a shit about the rules? Nobody fucks with the Jesus man. I'm staying and enjoying my coffee. The Dude Abides, uh, El Duderino, This Is Our Concern Dude, and one and a personal favorite of mine on my most recent rewatch, Nihilists, fuck me. I mean, say what you want about the tenets of National Socialism, dude, at least it's an ethos. Like, so many good lines. That's not even half of the good lines. That's not even a quarter of the good lines in this movie. There's so many more lines. I could just... I could just recite. I could recite the entire fucking movie and you'd all get it. You'd all understand the appeal of this hilariously hilarious movie. Like, it's just so insane to me how quotable this movie is. And just how many, not only how many good lines are in it, but how those good lines come together to form such a good script. So, I'm sure you're all wondering, what the hell is The Big Lebowski about? If you are... One one of the three people out there who have been living under a rock and have never even seen this movie. Well, I'll tell you, three people who have never seen The Big Lebowski, it's not that simple. I can't just tell you the plot of The Big Lebowski because there's a lot to it. There's a lot to this movie. And it's because the movie is not plot-driven, it is character-driven. It if it was any other movie, it would be plot-driven because there's a lot that happens plot-wise. But it's all because of the characters. And it's the characters that make this movie. Most notably, the main character, the dude, uh, played by Jeff Bridges. How he's just like this mellowed-out stoner who just has no agency in anything. I remember a while back we talked on uh, the Big Trouble in Little China episode with William how we talked about how that movie has a main character who has no agency in the story. 
it's kind of the same thing here. Like the, the dude has really no agency in this movie. Like if he just never really pursued anything, he would not have any reason to be there. Like had the guys just beat him up and he was just like, well, whatever, that was weird, which he most realistically could have done like there would be no movie like he would not be a part of it honestly if the do if that guy had not pissed on his rug nothing would have happened like we would have gone about our day and we would not be watching the madness that goes down in this movie so that so he's just he's just such a passive dude everything just sort of happens to him and nothing really gets accomplished because of it like and in any other movie, that would seem kind of frustrating. It's like, well, gee, like, why are we watching this character just dick about? Well, y- you just kind of have to watch because watching the dude interact with these people, interact with anybody really in this movie is just fascinating because most often than not, he's like this really chill dude, this really mellowed out stoner uh just do nothing lies around all day kind of guy except when he's around another character walter who is one of the funniest characters i've seen in the coen brothers movie walter played by john goodman is a nutcase and it's really funny how he's supposedly best friends with the dude because the dude in every scene is always yelling at him and calling him like an idiot and just telling him to fuck off and he's the most not calm when he's around Walter, his supposed best friend. And that's really funny. Like that's just so hilarious to me. And that, that adds to the comedy like that. It really adds to these characters and their dynamic. Cause you're just like, well then why are they friends? But then you watch them and they're just like, fuck it. Let's go bowling. It's like, okay, like, I guess we won't really need to do, do delve into that. And it's like, well, great. Because that's not what the movie's about. The movie is just about these it's just about these characters interacting in this story that they really have nothing to do with, but that's what adds to the comedy. Seeing their egos just clash with other characters' egos is just brilliant. Steve Buscemi did not have to be in the movie except to die, and he really still plays it like a champ. Like, he's so good in this movie, how he's just like, he always looks like he's so bewildered and just does not have any idea what's going on. Julianne Moore, I'm not usually a fan of in movies, but she's really good in this movie. She plays like this pretentious feminist artist, and she's awesome. John Turturro as the Jesus. Like, I mean, man, like, not not only am I a fan of John Turturro uh, as this Jesus character, who's just really funny, you know, nobody fucks with the Jesus man, but also, like, I realized this time around, I love Walter in those scenes as well, because every time like Jesus comes over and he's just like acting like tough shit and being like this, this like force to be reckoned with, with the dude and, uh, Walter and Walter's just staring at him like, whatever, man, like I'm not affected by anything you say. Like he literally will just say nothing as the Jesus is just ranting the whole time. And then the Jesus walks away and Walter just looks at Jeff Bridges and goes, eight-year-olds dude and it's brilliant i love that it's so good i love the face john goodman makes every time the jesus comes on in in a scene it's fantastic oh and by the way there's only like two scenes with the jesus and yet he's one of the most memorable characters in the movie 
another character you rarely ever see. There's David Thewlis is in the movie. He plays this video artist with Julianne Moore. He just shows up for one scene and then he's not in the movie anymore. But he's he has this really wonky laugh and he just doesn't really give off good vibes. He's just kind of there and then he's not in the movie anymore. But you're like, who was that guy? There's also the nihilists, and my God, they every scene they're in is just so funny. I love the climax when they're getting ready to fight with the dude, and and Walter's just so unfazed by them. He's just like, "You bunch of fucking crybabies!" Like, oh God, he's like the interactions between them is so funny. Philip Seymour Hoffman in this movie, such a fucking champ. Like, holy shit. Every line delivery of his is so good. And he's not a major character. Like, he's like the pushover assistant secretary type character to the big Lebowski, to Mr. Lebowski, the other character named Lebowski in this movie. Yeah, there's another character named Lebowski. He's kind of like, he's pretty much the big Lebowski. In any case, uh, he's so good. And one of my favorite details, and I especially loved it this time, how like he's he does call the dude, dude, but he just says it in a way that is so funny like in his own way oh god the way he says this is our concern dude it's so good i say that almost all the time it's so funny to me this is our concern dude it's so good it's so unbelievably hilarious to me that this movie is so quotable and yeah every time i talk about a comedy on this show i am just reciting like specific scenes that make me laugh and i go this movie is so funny i feel as though that is sort of a pattern with when it comes to comedies whenever i talk about them on this show but can you blame me it's like comedy is a very weird genre the more i'm thinking about it because a lot of it is just a lot of it does boil down to specific scenes that just make me laugh like this is the only genre where that where like specific scenes can really define an entire movie to me, I'm realizing. Or just the little things will just mean a lot. Because if they're if I'm not laughing, then it fails as a comedy. It's like, well then what am I here for? And that's just fascinating to me that like every time I've talked about a comedy on this show, it devolves into me just being like, oh, uh, the scene, it was really funny. And then I just like cl- proclaim that the whole movie is funny. But, I mean, it is kind of uh, timely that I'm just rambling about this movie because the dude is kind of a rambler himself. Like, every time he's talking, he's just like, uhs and ahs, ums and ahs, uh, uh, you know, man, like, that's the dude abides. Like, that's the whole movie. But it just works. It's almost hard to explain. Like, you just need to watch it. And if you really haven't watched it yet, like... You need to see this. I know I say that with a lot of movies like, oh, if you haven't seen this yet, you need to. But it's like, it's true. Like, if you're a fan of film, you need to see The Big Lebowski. Like, it's one of those movies that needs to be seen if you're a fan of film. If you're if you're a fan of the Coens and you haven't seen this, which I f- would hi- find highly impossible. Like, if you're a fan of the Coens and you haven't seen The Big Lebowski, like, come on, man. Like, it doesn't matter if you've seen No Country for Old Men and Fargo. Like, if you have not seen The Big Lebowski are you truly a Coen Brothers fan? Like, are you truly a Coen Brothers fan? Really think about it. In any case, I feel like I've rambled long enough. There's really not a lot. 
else I can add to the discussion on this movie. If you want a more in-depth, detailed discussion, go watch the Sardonicast episode on the movie. Uh, as for me, I really fucking love it. I love this Blu-ray that it comes in. So let me describe this Blu-ray. So it's a limited edition Big Lebowski uh, book Blu-ray. So it's a book. Yeah, it's a book, essentially. It has a bowling ball on the front. It has Jeff Bridges, John Goodman, Julianne Moore, Steve Buscemi, and John Turturro on the front surrounding this bowling ball. And then it's a book. So, like, there's just, like, designs from the movie, characters, posters, and it's a bunch of just uh, trivia facts and uh, quotes and... Oh, is this, like part of like the script no it's not a script oh it's like an interview yeah it's an exclusive interview there's just a bunch of just like stuff in this pages that you could read as you're like watching the movie i guess um which is really cool it's really neat it looks cool and it's it, as i said it's on blu-ray it looked really good on blu-ray it's a very neat blu-ray case it's a very uh neat movie Honestly, I see no reason why I should get rid of it. Like, it's a keep. It's a definite, definite keep. Uh, it was a keep before I even knew I was going to do it on this podcast. But I'm glad I'm getting a chance to talk about it and to say it's really good and to say I get to keep it because it's worth it, man. It's the dude abides. The dude abides. That's all you need to know. The dude abides. But wait, there's one more movie I wanted to talk about today. And I originally wanted to talk about this at like the very end of the year because I felt it would have been more timely. But I mean, I only have the my friend's VHS player for so long, so I feel like I should just take advantage because, yes, this is a VHS tape. So I, I feel like I better get this done sooner rather than later. Um, but speaking of time... Time to talk about Time Runner. Um, you ever heard of this movie? No? Of course you haven't, because who the fuck has ever heard of Time Runner other than me? And you know what? That's a shame, because Time Runner is really, really funny. So, a little background. Obviously, if you know me, I am a huge fan of Star Wars, and... Ergo, I am a huge fan of the character of Luke Skywalker. I am a huge, huge, huge fan of Luke Skywalker. He is honestly one of, if not my favorite character in any movie ever. I've always loved Luke Skywalker. I will forever love Luke Skywalker. He is one of my favorite characters, not just in Star Wars, but in any movie ever. So much so that I am a fan of Mark Hamill. I think he is really good in the role of Luke Skywalker. So much so that I really wanted to see him in other movies. And eventually, that led me down the rabbit hole to eventually finding a Mark Hamill movie from 1993, sci-fi action movie called Time Runner. Now, I have this crackpot theory that has no evidence to back me up. This is just a theory, a, a query theory, movie film theory, if you will. Um, 
So obviously, Mark Hamill was Luke Skywalker in Star Wars. Harrison Ford was Han Solo in Star Wars. Harrison Ford was also in a bunch of other movies other than just Star Wars. He was in Indiana Jones. He was in Cowboys and Aliens, Secret Life of Pets 2. He was in this movie that I remember seeing a trailer for back in 2010. It was called like Extraordinary Measures or something like that. And I always had this idea like, what if nobody went to go see that movie in theaters? Like, would they just play it to an empty theater? Like, that's what I remember that movie for. I still have not seen that movie, but I just remember seeing Harrison Ford as a doctor in the trailer yelling and thinking, do you think he put on that performance and then, like, they played it in a theater and nobody went and saw it because who the fuck wants to watch a boring-ass doctor movie with Harrison Ford in it? Anyway, off on another tangent. Back to the realm of reality where I'm talking about Time Runner. So... Obviously, Harrison Ford, not only was he in Star Wars, he was also in another sci-fi hit, Blade Runner. And Blade Runner is seen as one of the greatest sci-fi movies ever made. It's a cult classic. It's dark. It's uh, deep and profound. It is, again, one of the greatest sci-fi movies ever made. I need to make an episode on it someday. And I think old Marky Mark got a teensy bit jealous because, hey, how come he got to star in two sci-fi classics? Gee, Harrison, two sci-fi classics? I think Marky Mark wanted a little bit of that Blade Runner uh, respect that Harrison got. So he's like, you know what? I'll make my own Blade Runner with Blackjack and hookers. And so then he made Time Runner. A mere 10 years after Return of the Jedi, uh, 11 years after Blade Runner, and also 9 years after Terminator. Because this movie is a time travel movie. It's a movie where Mark Hamill goes back in time to the first Thanksgiving to get turkeys off the menu, except he doesn't. He goes back in time to the early 90s from the far-off distant year of 2022. So yeah to uh, get into why I wanted to talk about this movie this year or at the very end of the year is because it takes place, the future stuff at least, takes place in the year 2022, which I think the filmmakers just wanted it because it's like, oh, that sounds like a distant year. It's like, yeah, it does. Unfortunately, the specific date it takes place on is October 6th, 2022. So I really missed the ball on that one. But In any case, 2022 is the year where it takes place in the future. After this year, it will no longer be in the future. It'll be succumbed to the past, where in retrospect, it'll be seen as embarrassing. Remember when 2015 was years away? Well, take that back to the future part two. You look real stupid now, don't you? In any case, so in Time Runner, Mark Hamill uh, plays a resistance soldier uh agent uh regular guy i don't know you know what this calls for reading the back of the box so mark hamill in parentheses the star wars trilogy yeah did you know that mark hamill was in the star wars trilogy news to me stars as a heroic space captain battling to change his violent fate and the destiny of planet earth in this explosive sci-fi thriller oh he's a captain yeah that wasn't explained very well michael rayner 
Hamill, ugh, a, a name destined to be amongst the greatest in sci-fi movies. Rick Deckard, Luke Skywalker, Captain Jean-Luc Picard, Michael Rayner. Yeah, it really rolls off the tongue, don't it? Travels back in time from the year 2022 in a desperate attempt to save the world from a brutal alien attack. But perhaps an even greater threat is their cunning leader, Brian James, Blade Runner, the player. Oh yeah, Brian James, another connection to Blade Runner, because he was Leon in Blade Runner. Uh, and he plays, uh, yeah, the leader. Oh, so this box spoils, like, a twist in the movie. Or was it not supposed to be a twist? Huh. Interesting who's positioned himself as a U.S. senator on the political rise. Rainer teams up with a sexy double agent, Ray Don Chong, Tales from the Dark Side and Soul Man, to stop the alien leader from ascending to the presidency and ultimately conquering the universe. Sexy double agent. Oh yeah, so I found out this time. So the main female lead, Karen, played by Ray Don Chong, is supposed to be an alien she's like a double agent but she is from the 90s and yes so the twist of the movie is that the aliens invade but they had infiltrated um earth like years before so in the 90s brian james is like this senator who's rising in political power and eventually he becomes world president in 2022 and then he when the aliens invade he's like eh, we'll do nothing about it and that's why they invade because he infiltrated it was an inside job but ray don chong is a double agent so she plays a scientist lady in the early 90s when michael rayner goes back in time to the first thanksgiving and but she acts confused when she sees a spaceship from the future that time travels to their time um and then, but then it's a twist reveal at the end. It's like, oh, I was a double agent. I was helping you the whole time, even though I was an alien. I think. I'm, hmm. And also, sexy double agent. Sexy? Like, this is going to sound really weird, but, and this isn't to be mean to the actress. I did find her quite attractive, but like, I don't think the movie was going for her being a sexy double agent. Like, when I think sexy double agent, I think, like, a character the movie's trying to sexualize. Now, say what you want, but I truly don't think this movie was trying to sexualize the main actress. Like, she never has a tit shot. They never really show her in revealing clothing. Like, she's always dressed kind of conservatively so like calling her a sexy double agent just seems kind of misleading from the back of the box again i did find her quite attractive but that's like i don't know like that's just me being weird like i don't think the movie i don't think the back of the box necessarily understands that because it's trying to appeal to like the general audience and i don't think the general audience yeah, and it's sounding kind of mean, but I'm just going off of what the stupid back of the box is saying. I'm thinking as a marketing exec, and I'm trying to think like less human because of it. But me, I'm a human, a weird human. I do find her attractive. I'm obviously a, sounding like a complete babbling idiot at this point, so I'm just going to say very stupid back of the box. That That's my point I'm trying to make. 
and also a very stupid movie. I am shocked that Red Letter Media has not talked about this movie yet. This is best of the worst gold. I'm telling you, like, the VHS I have this on, it's... I, I feel like I could see this. I can envision this being on the best of the worst table. And there's so many line deliveries and so many funny ass scenes out of context that I could just see playing out and then having Rich Evans laugh just belt at the end as if it's like a punchline to a joke. Like it's just, it's uncanny. Like this is the best movie that best of the worst has never talked about. It's ideal. Or maybe I'm just saying that because I think it's ideal. Maybe, I don't know. I'm not a... I'm not part of Red Letter Media. What the fuck do I know? But in any case, like, it's just so funny because it's a stupid, stupid movie. It's, it like I said, it makes no sense. The time travel makes literally no sense, obviously, because it's a fucking time travel movie. Like, I'm not kidding. Freebirds made more sense than this movie in terms of time travel. But I don't care. I love the hell out of this movie. It is so hilariously incompetent i love hilariously incompetent films as i've said before like there's a reason i got rid of frank frankenfish when i did because it was not as hilariously incompetent as it could have been this movie this is the movie i wanted out of frankenfish this is a failure and i love it because of that honestly just go watch it like the way I watched it originally, because this was my second time watching it, was I think I found it for free on Vudu. It probably is not free on Vudu anymore, but you all just need to watch it. Like, find out certain ways of watching it. Um, unfortunately, this is as high a quality physical release as we're going to get of it. Unless, I don't know, Vinegar Syndrome or Shout Factory or somebody... Uh, takes one for the team and actually puts it on like a nice blu-ray because time runner just does not have a dvd release or a standard blu-ray release new line cinema is probably very ashamed of this movie maybe mark hamill's really ashamed of this movie i mean i'd be if i was mark hamill but i'm not mark hamill i'm hal and i fucking love that it's embarrassing for mark hamill i love it lots it's so funny it needs to be seen to be believed i'm keeping this vhs tape out of necessity because it's the only physical release i have of this movie and honestly it works as a vhs film like if this is all it's ever going to be on so be it it probably deserves it because it's not very good so i don't know find it online somewhere you'll find it it's probably not that hard to find i mean it's not easy to find but it's Go, go go sailing the high seas to find it. You'll find it out there, I'm sure. You just, you need to watch it. Trust me. Here, here's a reason. Uh, here's here's an incompetent thing I forgot to mention about it. There's no aliens. So there are aliens, technically, but the aliens in this movie look like humans. And that's the point. There's a scene when, like, the humans are shooting across a tunnel and there's, like, this army approaching them and it's supposed to be the aliens. They just look like standard army guys. Brian James never turns into an alien. He just is always Brian James, but sometimes he has an alien voice where they just put a voice filter over it and it, it sounds distorted. It's just like, oh, give me the child. It's like, oh, so now I guess he's an alien now. Okay, cool. 
Yep. That's how there I've convinced you. Have I not convinced you? I don't care. Go watch it anyway. In any case, that about does it. I have talked about three movies. I'm keeping all three of them. So today was a win in my book, honestly. That's that's an absolute win. Three movies kept in the collection. So thank you all for watching and listening. And I'll see you all next time when I talk about uh, more movies with uh, maybe guests. I'll be talking about movies in the next episode. That's kind of my thing here. Uh, We kind of talk about movies on this podcast. Anyway, see you all later. The Dude Abides. (laughs) 